Good morning. So today I'm going to be preaching from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And while you're turning there, I'm going to give a little background to it. Because this chapter starts with one of the oddest verses in the Bible. It simply says, And Saul approved of their killing him. Now him is Stephen, uh, what Chaplain Ames had talked about last week. He was the first martyr of the Christian church. And chapter 7 starts with the trial and ends with the stoning of Stephen and how the mob had come and they'd taken off their coats, they'd laid them at the foot of Saul, and then proceeded to stone Stephen to death. And Stephen, as he's dying, prays to God to forgive the people for attacking him, and then he finally dies. Chapter 7 ends right there, immediately goes into chapter 8, and it begins by saying, and Paul approved of their killing him. And Paul approved of it so much of this murder that it really sort of lit a fire in him. He discovered his passion for killing. And he went around and he started to persecute the church. And it says that he was going around, he was putting people out of their homes. He was taking people, he was putting them in prison. He was separating families and he was killing people. And his goal had been, I want to end this movement, whether you refer to it as the way, whether you call them Christians, whatever it is, he wanted it to be over with. But in reality, what happened was it caused the church to spread, and it was already spreading rapidly, but it caused the church to spread even faster and even further, because it took people from the comfort of their home and forced them to go out into the world. Because sometimes when we as humans, and I'm really speaking from a personal place, are in a place of comfort, we don't feel a sense of urgency. And sometimes we need that pain and that discomfort to light a spirit of urgency in it. And in this case, persecution forced Philip to go to Samaria, and it gave him a new place to preach Christ. And as I read the message, as I read that scripture, the message that kept coming back to mind over and over again is that the Holy Spirit demands urgency. The time is now to do the Lord's work. But the problem is, is that God's work, what, God, what the Holy Spirit calls us to, is very rarely something that we place as important. It is always the most important thing we can do, but so often we get caught up with all the little ankle-biter chores that have to be done. And so often the most important things, the most urgent thing, the Lord's work, it gets forgotten. And the Holy Spirit is not tyrannical where he comes in and he says, this is what has to happen now, and tries to take over. He always gives us the opportunity to do his work, but it's something that we have to choose, and we have to do, choose to do it now. And so if you read with me from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. 
How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who could speak of his descendants, for his life was taken away from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and Eunuch said, Look, there is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, arrived in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And so this passage is about urgency, and there are so many things that are happening simultaneously that any of those elements changed. What happened could not have happened. And so I want to look at the setting first, which is verses 26 through 29. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now as I said before, Philip had left Jerusalem because of the persecution of Saul, who later became Paul. And he went to Samaria. It's a little town slightly north of Jerusalem, and he began to preach the gospel there. And while he's there, an angel comes to visit him and gives him some very specific directions. Tell him, go down a specific road to a specific place. And he follows that, and when he arrives, he sees this Ethiopian eunuch. And it's not a coincidence that this Ethiopian eunuch is there. It says in verse 27 that he was there because he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. So we already know that the eunuch is a devoutly religious man. And if you think about how far he's traveled, he had come all the way from a different continent. He'd come from Ethiopia. And you think about it, this was at a time when traveling like 10 days, or I'm sorry, traveling 10 miles, is about how far you could travel in a day if you're traveling on foot. It was not an easy trip for this person to come from Africa to here. But he'd come here to worship, which is fascinating. I mean, he is a big deal. He was a eunuch. He was in charge of the treasury of the Queen of the Ethiopians. And I can imagine that if you're in charge of the treasury of an entire queen's, you know, the entire finances of a country, they probably don't want to give you time off. Yet he still managed to come from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. And the eunuchs, if you're not aware of this, were typically put in charge of things requiring an extreme level of responsibility. They were put in charge of the king's harem, or obviously in the case of this, finances, because they were expected to have no ties to anything but royalty. 
I'm just going to read this section here really quick. Eunuchs did not generally have loyalties to the military, the aristocracy, or a family of their own, having neither offspring nor in-laws, and thus were seen as more trustworthy and less interested in establishing a private dynasty. And so, because they were eunuchs, they wouldn't get married, they wouldn't have children. After they died, their line was gone. And so it then became their responsibility to take care of things that were very important. Because what would happen is if you had someone who had children that they would want to then bring in and put in that place, that person could oftentimes become confused and rather than focusing on how do I take care of my boss, how do I take care of you know, these people or these finances, it becomes how do I take care of my family. They didn't want that. And so this gentleman was put in charge of a huge amount of money. You know, his name traditionally is Simeon Bacchus. And he was in charge of the entire finances of the Queen of Ethiopia. He was there, Janet Yellen or Ben Bernanke. So it was a really big deal. And there's more evidence to the fact that he was a big deal because it says he was reading a book. Now in our time frame, we've gotten used to books. We take books for granted because of technology, Johannes Gutenberg and all of those things. We can get a book. There are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of books in this building. But back in the day, you had to have scribes do it by hand. They had to write every book individually. And they were extremely difficult. They were extremely rare. And not very few people had access to them. Yet here he is casually in his chariot reading a book. So you have a lot of evidence that he was a very important person doing a very big deal just doing big things. And so God calls Philip to go and to approach him. And by the grace of God, he gets the eunuch's ear, and he is allowed to tell him about the gospel. And what's great about this is he goes, tells him about the gospel, he accepts Christ, and then this causes him to go back to Ethiopia, and it starts the very first church in Africa, the very first Christian church in Ethiopia. So all of these things had to come together in order for this to work. God had set up a huge amount of quote-unquote coincidences, but all it would take for this to fall apart is Philip to just not listen to the Holy Spirit once. To say like, I don't really want to walk down to Gaza. I don't want to go outside the house today. I've been persecuted, God. I'm feeling really tired. I just want to stay home and relax and nothing would have happened. But because he listened to the Holy Spirit once and did one thing, suddenly you have a church being established on a foreign continent. Because as I said earlier, there is an urgency to what God is calling us to do. God calls us to do things now. And so I'm going to move on to the second set of verses, verses 30 through 35. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? 
And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And so right now I'm reading a book. And it's a pretty short book, but it's interesting. And it's called A $500 House in Detroit. And it's about this kid from Ann Arbor who moves to Detroit, Michigan because he wants to, and in his words, be a pioneer. And he goes and he buys a house for $500, and he buys the two adjoining lots for another $500. So he has a total investment in this house, and I believe it's a quarter-sized acre lot at this point, of about 1,500 bucks. Now the house he buys doesn't have plumbing, electricity, ductwork. It doesn't have a front door. It doesn't even have windows. Uh, some homeless people have been squatting for it, squatting in it. And it literally was simply just a structure of a house. As near as he could tell, it hadn't had windows in it for about 10 years. And so animals were in it, just the weather had been coming in. The house was basically falling in on itself. But he decides he wants to fix it up. And over the next six years, he proceeds to do that. He rebuilds the house completely. He puts in heat, he puts in plumbing, he puts in ductwork. You know, he rebuilds the house, puts in a garden out back. And it's literally just the story of him rebuilding this house, which is kind of cool. But the most interesting part of this book is not about the house, but it's about the relationships that he builds with the people that are around him. Because he moved from Ann Arbor, which is one of the richest cities in the United States, 45 minutes away to one of, if not the poorest city in America, of Detroit. And when he moves there, none of his friends are going to come visit him because they're sort of afraid of what it's like. And so he makes friends with the people around him. And the first friend he makes, simply because of proximity and because they had a, both had a lot of white space on their calendar, uh, was a drug dealer named Zeno. And they have nothing in common at all, just looking at their past. But they very quickly become friends. And the reason that he gives for this is that they had nothing in common. They didn't have mutual friends, they didn't have family, they didn't have you know, neighbors that they could gossip about, really. And so immediately they have to go to the deeper things. What are the things that hold us as humans together? So they talk about love, they talk about family, and they talk about God. The real things that bond us together. What is the things that we all have in common? And when I think of Philip and the eunuch, I think of that same kind of thing that they probably don't have much in common, except they both want to fully and better and have a deeper understanding of God. Because when Philip rolls up on him, the eunuch is already reading Isaiah. He's doing the legwork. He's trying to get to know God. He's trying to understand God better. But he's also aware that he doesn't understand God completely. You know, he says... How can I, unless someone explains it to me? The eunuch is aware that he needs to learn about God, that he needs someone with more knowledge, with more faith, and more experience to teach him. And so the eunuch says, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And Philip begins with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So the eunuch gives Philip an invitation to speak, and Philip takes full advantage of it. What's good is that the eunuch already had a base understanding of some scripture. He had Isaiah. 
And it gives Philip the opportunity to step in and to build on that foundation, starting with an Old Testament knowledge and growing up from there. You know, Philip didn't have to start from scratch. He took advantage of what he already knew, and he used it to really round out this guy's knowledge. And so once he had the scripture, once the eunuch had learned all of it, then the urgency came upon him. He then had the choice at that point to either accept or deny it. And so moving on to the final set of verses about the urgency of acceptance, verses 36 through 40. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So the eunuch has been given the gospel, and he knows he has to react to it. I mean, when the Holy Spirit puts something in our way, we have to react to it. But one of the greatest tools that the devil has is procrastination. It's very easy for us to take what we need to do now and say, I'm going to do that later, I'm going to do that tomorrow, I'm going to do that next week. So if you think about the screw tape letters, it's a book by C.S. Lewis, I'm sure a couple of y'all have read it, but it's a book of fictional correspondence between a junior and a senior tempter, effectively two demons whose job is to distract humans from addressing their deeper spiritual needs. It says their stated goal is to undermine faith and prevent the formation of virtue. And so early in the book, the younger tempter is talking to this more senior tempter about trying to distract this guy. And he says that, and the senior tempter tells him that when your customer, basically, the person you're trying to distract, starts to feel the Holy Spirit, they start to feel these deeper spiritual needs, what you need to do is get them back out into the world, get them to face some concrete needs, have them go for a walk, tempt them with being hungry, with needing a cup of tea. Once you can get them outside of the house, you know, you can get them back to a surface level of functioning. Never let them get to the point of whether they're looking at their deeper needs. Always keep them focused on very surface, less important things. Help them to forget that the Holy Spirit has pricked their conscience and keep them blissfully unaware of the need for urgency to respond to the Holy Spirit. And I think that procrastination could have easily happened here. Both Philip, when he was told by the angel to go for the walk, when he saw the eunuch sitting in the chariot, he could have procrastinated on going to talk to him, he could have felt shy, You know, there's a million things that could have gone wrong. But both the eunuch and Philip in this moment recognize the need to react when the Holy Spirit calls us. When the Holy Spirit calls us, we need to react right now in that moment. Because there is not always tomorrow. A lot of people say, oh, there's always tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. There's not always tomorrow. Scripture is very clear on that. That tomorrow is not promised. Yesterday is long gone. 
All we have is today. All we have is right now. And Philip and the eunuch were aware of that. The eunuch saw, they're going along, they're in the chariot, and he sees the water, and he's like, hey, why can't I get baptized right now? And I'm sure he could have said, well, I need to think about this some more. I should get baptized tomorrow. We should find some nice water. That water looks a little muddy. It's by the roadside. Let's find a better place to do it. He could have done a million things to really put that off. And Philip could have done the same thing. He could have thought of a million different ways to procrastinate. You know, said, hey, maybe you need to think about this some more. Maybe it's not the time right now. Philip could have been too busy taking care of these tyrannical little ankle biters, but he's not. He followed the Holy Spirit and he did what he was required to do. The unit followed the Holy Spirit and he did what he was required to do. See, there's a million things that can go wrong, and they will go wrong when we try to put God's word into action. And so the question I'm asking for each of us, and myself as well, or are we responding to God's call, and are we responding with urgency? Because the tale of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is that God wants to call all of us to salvation, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, like physical deformities, anything like that. God calls us, and he wants to save all of us. And this Ethiopian's conversion was a small thing, with Philip doing small actions, but it turned into something much larger than himself. Because the Ethiopian then went back to Ethiopia and he started the first Christian church. We're talking about an entire second continent starting to be evangelized because Philip was willing to do, his do, to do what he was supposed to, and the eunuch was willing to do what he was supposed to. All of these things happened because Philip did what God had commanded him to do and the eunuch did what God had commanded him to do. And so we can ask, what would have happened if Philip had not responded to God's call? But more relevant to, to us is, what about us? Are we responding to God's call? When God tells us to do something, are we doing it? Are we reacting to what God has called us to do? And I'm sure that God tells us to do things all the time, and we don't always respond, sometimes, if ever. And so as we move to communion, I want us to take a moment to think about that. What are the things that God is calling us to do right now? Who is God telling us to call? Who is God telling us to visit? Who is God telling us to start a conversation with? You know, if you look at the story, Philip was willing to go and to be where God had called him to be in the place he was supposed to be. But at the same time, the eunuch asked the questions. And Philip could have said, I'm not qualified enough for this. But he gave the knowledge that he had. He just was in the place that God had called him to be. And God pricked the heart of the eunuch so that Philip had the opportunity to ask him those questions. What is God calling you to do today? Let's take a moment and pray if you want to bow your heads with me. Dear God, we know that you have called each of us for a purpose. God, that we are not just on this earth to eat food, breathe oxygen, hang out, watch a little TV. 
God, you've created each and every one of us to be part of your divine plan, God. Though we are not the beginning or the end of the plan, but we get to be part of it. That we get to be part of something greater than ourselves that will go beyond ourselves, God. And I pray that you would convict each one of our hearts, prick our hearts, keep us not motivated, God, but keep us disciplined to seek your word, to seek the actions that you've called us to. God, be with us. Guide us and lead us. And then most importantly, God, show us what needs to be done. God, reveal what is going on in our hearts. Take out what is not appropriate for you, God. Remove that so that we can more fully focus on you, God, so that when you call us, so when you prick our conscience, we can respond as you have called us to. So thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.